the last time that we got together, we looked at the Gospel of Luke at various examples of Jesus in his prayer life. And uh, today I want to pick up uh, with the Gospel of Luke and look at various New Testament writers, Luke, John, and Paul, and some of the things that they say about prayer. When we finish today, we'll have uh, introduced a brief theology of prayer. It won't be comprehensive. It won't have been in the depth I'd like to, it to have been. But it will give us a basis for developing our own prayer life. And uh, I hope will stimulate you as it has me in uh, praying more. Let's begin today with looking at Luke's writing as, as it relates to the ministry of Jesus as a model of prayer. As we've uh, just seen in the previous study, Luke spends much time writing about the prayer life of Jesus in his gospel. For him, prayer is a basic expression of the Christian's life and faith, with, with Jesus being the principal model for same. For instance, in Luke, the, first, uh, the 11th chapter, verse 1, it, Luke records this writing concerning Jesus. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Of course, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, even as John did, he taught it by two means. One was modeling and the other one was explaining. It's a basic proposition of show and tell. This is common in all the teaching uh, dynamic of Jesus discipling the various uh, disciples that followed him. For instance, when he taught healing, he did it the same way. First he healed people and then he explained uh, theologically why he healed people and how he healed people. Then he uh, ministered to people uh, for instance, in the area of casting out demons. And then again, there was a theological explanation of the, uh, through teaching. So it was always show and tell. Jesus' disciples then and, and uh, followers, uh, those that were discipled by disciples, all took on the basic pattern that Jesus had demonstrated. All of their important decisions, for instance, are marked by prayer. Uh, just as Jesus' important decisions were marked by prayer. Uh, to Luke, prayer is a real conversation with God. Luke records various kinds of prayer, even as we looked at it last time, and uh, demonstrates that uh, the communication that Jesus had with the Father was very intimate in, in its nature. This is factual because often uh, those having conversation with God receive definite instructions from him. That is to say, uh, it's factual in the sense that there was real dialogue going on. Even as the participant on the earth spoke to the Father in heaven, uh, there was conversation back and communication back in which they received real instruction. Now John, another principle in the New Testament, has more to say concerning uh, the prayer life of the disciples. When, when Jesus is seen in prayer in the writings of John, he's seen in a normal conversation. That is to say, it's all characterized by very intimate communication style. The words Jesus used are not the common words for prayer, but the ordinary words for speaking and talking. John qualifies them with statements like, quote, Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven. This is found in the John the 11th chapter, verse 41. Jesus is always presented by John and in John as praying in public and in private and almost always addresses his prayers to the Heavenly Father. For instance, uh, this is very clear in the passage recorded in the 12th chapter, verses 27 and 28, when John writes this, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
And so we see that, that Jesus, in his communication with the Father, expressed his, uh, uh, this communication by uh, very intimate terms, uh, terms of endearment. He spoke easily to his Father as though he were in the very presence of the Father. John captures this in writing and, as, as, and, and gives a, another important dimension to the prayer life of Jesus. Now, Paul uh, writes concerning the prayer life of Jesus and, the, and his own prayer life and, the, and demonstrates the discipling model has come, uh, at least to his generation, in a way that, that uh, would, uh, is a little more formal in structure. But I, uh, keep in mind that often Paul's writings uh, have that air. Peter one time exclaimed that Paul's writings are hard to understand. Well, I think they are because they're so uh, in-depth in terms of their theological expression. Uh, for Paul, true prayer is brought about by the Spirit. For instance, in Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 15, uh, Paul says this, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. In this passage, he's demonstrating the intimacy that we see in the Gospel of John in the prayer life of Jesus, but he's also demonstrating that that he, uh, he knew that this was an important element in all teaching that, and that uh, every uh, Christian, uh, and the Roman Christians particularly, uh, ought to be made aware of this. This means that prayer does not originate in any power possessed by man and can never be considered as a meritorious work of man. To Paul, prayer is ultimately the energizing spirit speaking with God himself. It's sort of God speaking back to God, but he's doing it through the believer. Uh, prayer is not dependent then on the eloquence of humanity. That is to say, we can add our mind to it, we can add our education and training, but prayer, uh, uh, powerful prayer, isn't really based on our eloquence so much as it is expression uh, and uh, the, the dynamic of the spirit bringing it forth. Some of the most eloquent prayers I've ever heard were not necessarily even well developed grammatically, but they came out of the hearts of believers under the unction and the anointing of the Spirit and often were in very limited vocabulary, but there was no question that, they, that a, a deep, heartfelt experience was, was uh, taking place. For Paul, intercessory prayer is a significant feature, and it's uh, referenced many times in his writings. Uh, the one who prays is praying for the needs of others and stands between God and those for whom he is praying. There are many such expressions in uh, his writings, uh, for instance, in Romans uh, 1, 7, uh, the latter part of the chapter, uh, verse he talks about, he expresses a, a desire to bless uh, those that are, uh, that are receiving the letter. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has a unique kind of prayer, which is stated with a wish. He expresses a desire that God would make some action regarding the personal mention in the wish. For instance, uh, he says in uh, Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And so Paul is uh, a, a constant prayer. He, uh, he is indeed taking on the model, the lifestyle, the value system of Jesus. And, and prayer is interspersed continually in his writings. He will uh, interrupt uh, passages uh, of teaching where, with prayer and burst forth in prayer and praise uh, continually. Paul, indeed, is a man disciple in prayer. Also significant are the, the prayer reports that Paul records. These are the beginnings of most of his letters. For instance, Paul opens many letters with prayer reports about the response to prayer concerning various believers that he's addressing. Paul assures his readers that he is continually thankful for them and that he is constant, in constant intercession for them. 
He usually shares some of the contents of its prayers. It's an interesting study, for instance, just to go through all of the New Testament letters and look at the introductions and the endings and note how often Paul's talking about his prayer and his prayer response as he writes various believers. Now, Paul is so prolific in this area of prayer that there's, a, there's a, just a, a great number of passages that can be dealt with and looked at as we think in, ter of, in terms of Paul's uh, not only personal prayer life, but his teaching concerning Paul. Uh, prayer. There are at least 10 kinds of prayers in Paul's writings, and I've listed some of them for your, your personal study, and I'd like to, to take you through a few and then give you a few passages uh, for future study so that you can get a, a kind of a broad base. First of all, there's something that in the way of a more of a formal prayer that might be called a doxology. For instance, this is recorded in Romans, the first chapter, verse 21. We see Paul speaking concerning uh, a people that had turned their backs on God. And he says for this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish, heart, their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, the, the, he's using the concept here of uh, 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 doxo, from which we get the idea in the, in the English, doxology. And it's the whole idea is this business of glorifying God. These people... That's uh, the negative side. These people hadn't glorified God. They knew God, but they didn't glorify him. And the implication is that those that know God are to glorify him and that we're constantly to, to speak in, in doxological terms uh, to God. We're, we're to come before him, recognizing him for who he is and what he's done and, and, uh, uh, in the past and what he's likely to do in the present and, and yet in the future. And we're to, to praise him uh, in, in not only in these formal senses of, uh, of doxologies, but to, we're to praise them, of course, in informal uh, ways also. So the doxology is, a, is a, a common form of prayer in Paul's prayer life, and it must have been common in the church at that time. Another kind of uh, prayer, another uh, quality of prayer, as well as a type of prayer, is the, is the prayer of praise. Uh, and uh, Paul uses two basic words, uh, one that can be translated in the English, confess, and the other one, uh, praise. Uh, to express this. For instance, in Romans, the 14th chapter, the 11th verse, Paul says, It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will confess to God. Now, the, the concept of confess here is the concept of praise. He's saying that to confess to God is to recognize God for who he is, and to confess his, uh, him in his fullness, in his greatness, in his magnificence. And so the Paul, for Paul, praise was as, as normative as, as any kind of dimension of expression. Uh, for him to, uh, uh, to dialogue with someone, for him to write a, a letter, uh, was to constantly burst forth in praise as he recognized uh, in the exchange the earmarks of God's presence or work in an individual or in a group or in a, in a situation. I, I think one of the, my favorite letters in the New Testament is the book of uh, Philippians uh, for this very reason. Paul is, is constantly expressing joy, constantly expressing uh, praise in that letter as, as he contemplates and thinks about the Philippians, uh, who had been, I guess, uh, exceptionally obedient and responsive uh, as a corporate group. Uh, for instance, as over contrasted with the Corinthian church, which had been somewhat abusive and, and heady and high-minded and unruly and, and undisciplined, the Philippian church... Uh, just uh, exemplified all that Paul wanted a church to exemplify. It's fascinating to me to look at Paul's churches as, uh, as children, you know, spiritual children, and that some children are a little more difficult to raise. They're, 
Uh, they're a little more difficult to discipline. And other churches have a, a seemingly a, 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 comply, a, a contrite spirit from the very start, even as some children do. And uh, in Paul's case, we can see as he writes the various children, churches, that, that he has spawned by, uh, by the work of uh, the Spirit through him in, in initiating new churches in new areas, uh, that some of the, the, uh, the children evidently uh, were more exemplary and, uh, and were quicker to respond. And the Philippian church was certainly classic to that. And so we see that particular letter uh, just interspersed constantly with uh, joy and expressions of joy and expressions of praise uh, as a result of it. Another quality and category of prayer uh, is the blessing. Uh, the, uh, the underlying Greek word is eulogiomai, and it means to bless or, or, or the concept of blessing. And I've, I've looked up a passage here in Romans, the first chapter, verse 25, and it said, they exchanged the truth of God. Here again, it's negative. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Now, the underlying concept here is that they've blessed uh, uh, the created as over against blessed the creator. They, they've uh, used their energy uh, to, to worship on one another as over against use their worship energy on the Father, which, who obviously merits worship. Uh, this is the, a common expression not only in, in the uh, writings of Paul, but we find it uh, interspersed throughout the Old Testament. This problem of people rising up and worshiping the things they've made with their own hands, the, the, the people that, uh, that have uh, exalted themselves among them, and, they, and they've turned uh, worship uh, into something that's adulterous and, and sinful. You know, God has created man to worship, and he'll worship something. If he doesn't worship God, who legitimately deserves his worship, he'll end up worshiping something else, uh, himself or the things he's made. And that's why it's so essential that from the early childhood we teach our children to worship the Lord. We do it by in the same way that Jesus taught uh, his disciples. We do it first by modeling and second by teaching. And so throughout the writings of Paul, we see this underlying concept of, of uh, blessing and worshiping the Lord and the importance of it. Here we've looked at it in a negative passage where people have turned blessing the wrong direction. But uh, uh, there are other passages such as 1 Corinthians 14, 16 and 2 Corinthians 1, 3 that deal with it in a more pop proper way. Um, let's look at another dimension of worship. Uh, it's another word, uh, proskuneo. And it's uh, used in 1 Corinthians 14.25. Let me read that passage to you. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so that he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, this, this text is pulled out of the context of, of uh, the use of prophecy in, in the fellowship in, uh, in which a person evidently has been prophesied to and his uh, heart has been exposed uh, and he, he, finds that, he finds that in that context that he has not lived the way he should. And he turns and, and uh, falls down and begins worshiping the Lord, exclaiming, exclaiming to the people around him, God is really with you. And uh, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, dynamic of, uh, uh, of ex exposing uh, the heart of a, of a non-believer or the heart of someone that's not responsive uh, by the use of the uh, uh, gift of prophecy. But it, it also demonstrates, I think, in a, in a clear way, this whole idea of proper worship. I, I don't think there's anything more refreshing than a person 
uh, whose heart has suddenly become contrite and convicted of sin, turning and as a natural expression of that, immediately worshiping. I don't know how many times I've had the privilege of leading someone to Christ, and even as they prayed their prayer of confession, ending up in worship and praise, as they had the revelation and the realization that they indeed had drawn nigh to God, that their confession was being received, and that out of that comes a heart full of welling thanksgiving in which they just naturally want to praise God and worship God. So here are two dimensions of blessing and worship that, that Paul uses in his writings. Another uh, thing that's really contiguous to this is the whole idea of hymns and community singing and psalms. And he uses such words as uh, psalmos, which means hymn or psalm, and uh, salo, uh, which means to sing, and hymnos, which means hymn. And uh, they're used in various passages in the New Testament, but I'd like to look at one uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 26, in which Paul says this, What then shall we say, brothers? He's talking to the uh, church. When you come together, everyone has a hymn, hymnals, or a word of instruction, or a revelation, or a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Now, this is an incredible text that deals with the whole underlying idea that, that in preparation for coming to church, uh, to assembly, that the church will, by the preparations of the Spirit, be given uh, songs and hymns and instructions and revelations and tongues and interpretation so that as they come together corporately, they've got, as it were, gifts to give to the assembly that are, have been given by the Spirit to them and through them to the assembly. Uh, I, I love this because the whole underlying idea here is one of, of, uh, of, uh, a, of God uh, by the Spirit, uh, preparing the church for gathering. Now, one of the difficulties of large assemblies is that it would be very difficult to have everyone express themselves in this way. I think this is why it's so important to have small groups, house groups, uh, places where uh, 12, 14, 15 people can gather and, and spend an hour or so giving corporately to one another the gifts that the Spirit has given them. This, this passage to me is a, is a great passage in Scripture and one that, that uh, exemplifies uh, the whole dynamic of, uh, of a spirit entrusted, a spirit blessed, a spirit gifted uh, church and it coming together with the unction and the anointing of the spirit under it. Now there are many, many other passages and other categories that we could look at and I'd like to reference just three or four here for your further study. For instance, the, the whole underlying concept of thanksgiving is, is referenced in, in Romans 1.8 in which Paul is thanking uh, God for the church and, and uh, thanking uh, and doing it in such a way as he demonstrates uh, deep grati gratitude. Uh, I thank my God for you, he's saying. Uh, for instance, another passage in Romans 5.2 uh, is the whole underlying idea of boasting in Christ, and boasting of the things of Christ, of the richness of Christ, of the blessings of Christ, the things that Christ has given. And, and in this case, he's boasting concerning the uh, the gospel, the blessing of, of God's message uh, to the world and all that it implies. Another category of prayer is, is, is petition, and uh, I'm going to deal with this in depth a little later on in this series, so I just want to touch on it now, but the whole underlying idea is to petition God for the, the blessings and the things that you need for yourself, and you may want to look up this passage in Romans 1.10. Yet another category that I'll develop in depth is intercessory prayer for others. And uh, Romans 1, 7 uh, deals with this idea of interceding, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in depth a little later. And then there's some general prayer uh, categories that are not all that specific, such as 
1 Corinthians 11.4 and uh, 1 Corinthians 13.14. These passages uh, and 14.14 deal with the whole underlying idea of of worshiping, praising, blessing, asking, interacting with God. All of it with the uh, the intention of communicating uh, needs and and, uh, communicating desires to God. Prayer. Prayer characterized the life of these New Testament writers. Luke, John, and Paul agree at this point. They were indeed disciples in prayer. Are you going to become one? It's my intention to be one. Today we've been looking at New Testament writers and their personal lives and the expression of uh, their understanding as it related to prayer, which sort of summarizes uh, uh, the last four sessions on the whole idea of developing a short theology of prayer. We've seen in the writings of Luke and in uh, John and in Paul that these men indeed had become disciples of Jesus. They learned to pray even as he had prayed. They had the the full span of prayer. It was was normative to all the things that they did. I mentioned uh, in our last, uh, earlier uh, today, that in the expression of prayer in Paul's life was so much a, a part of what he did that often he would interrupt everything else he was doing just to pray. He would stop in the middle of, of, of writing and, and, uh, and begin talking to God about what he had written. He, his, as his heart would uh, lift over various topics and subjects, as he would discern the interaction of God over, uh, with a given group or over a, a given issue, he would often burst forth in praise and, and an eloquent thanksgiving and uh, uh, constantly expressing an awareness of God in his interaction with others that that I think ought to be normative to all of us. I think many of us live rather secularized lives most of the time. You know, we go off to work and, and we, uh, even, you know, if we're housewives, we stay home and we're, we're working all day and taking care of things and running to the market and the cleaners and, and, and picking up the kids. And, and uh, some of us uh, have, uh, you know, jobs outside of the home and we're so embroiled in the, our jobs that we have throughout the day sort of a sterile um, kind of reality. We don't, we don't have the sense of God's working and the sense of God's uh, involvement. And uh, yet right in the middle of the day, a phone call may come and somebody's been healed or saved or filled with the Spirit or uh, a marvelous thing has happened. And, and all of a sudden, it's sort, it's sort of like a, a, a time warp or something. We're, we're drawn into an awareness that somehow through the day we'd been not in. Well, I think that, that that's not the way it's supposed to be. I suspect that we're to live with a more conscious, uh, cognizant awareness of God's presence in everything that we do. Uh, and Paul, to me, exemplifies this. He, it seems as though that Paul couldn't talk about anything or do anything without constantly checking with, with, with you know, in the back of his mind or wherever, you know, his awareness is located, uh, with God. And so it was native to that, that experience that caused him to just burst forth in praise and enjoy and and, and uh, expressions of pleasure. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, wonderful. Thank God. Uh, you know, this, these kinds of things are normative to all of his interaction. You can hardly go a page in Paul's writings that, without seeing him pray at some point or express some, some awareness of this. And this God consciousness, I think, is absolutely essential if you and I are to become effective in prayer. We, we're uh, here today and uh, uh, communicating to you through uh, media but I'm aware of God's presence. I'm aware of God's uh, communication with him. We've prayed today. We've communicated with God. Even as I'm talking to you right now, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, Lord, uh, help me communicate better. Say, 
help me say this in a way that will stir and encourage. The bottom line of, of our whole Christian existence is that we're preparing to spend eternity in God's actual presence. By that I mean in heaven. But we can know God. We have a foretaste of that actual expression of his presence today and that he's given us of himself by the Spirit. And you and I can live all day long in the awareness of the presence of God. And I believe that the, that the, the forerunner of a great prayer life is to develop that presence, that sense of his presence. By, by adding a third dimension to all exchanges. What do you think of this, Jesus? You're talking to somebody. What do you think of this person, Jesus? What, what's your thoughts about this person, Jesus? What, what, what are, you, are your interactions over this situation, Jesus? And we can live with a, a constant awareness of, of his um, interest and, and involvement in our lives. I believe that if we'll develop this, and we, can, and we simply do it by a meditative practice of opening our hearts to his presence, I think we can experience what Paul and those other guys did. I think we're supposed to experience it. 